Alright, how many people remember the day you met Jesus and your life was never the same? Jeremy does, and he's going to tell us a, a testimony today about his life. So give him a hand as he comes up here. Round two. How's everybody doing? For some odd reason, I had this compulsive feeling to do things different than what it was done in first service. So, I guess we're going to start this one off with a prayer. It's, uh, I got a wonderful thing going on in my life right now. I'm a young Christian. And young, I don't mean by age, because I'm older than some of you in the back. I'm younger than some of you up front. But, I've only been a Christian for two years, and that gives me one great thing that a lot of people overlook probably. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> I know absolutely nothing, and it's great, because I am not bound by very many religious spirits. And from what I'm getting ready to tell all of you, I would like to say a prayer about judgment. For those of you that feel that for some odd reason you have a lingering thought of judgment on your mind, I'd like to bow my head and say a prayer for all of you. Dear Lord, I'd like you to bless all these people that have been profound mentors and peers to me and my family over the last two years. I humbly ask from the bottom of my heart that you break off any desire for judgment in their lives, whether it be racial whether it be financial, whether it just be a moral issue, I ask you to break it from them. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Alright. Where's Colleen? Is she in here? From CSM? Good, because she's going to haunt me about this. Shabu Lakta. Manu Anu. Don't ask me why. I just had to overdying need to say that before I say this. Amen. <laughs> All right. Here we go. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Jeremy Ware. My phone number and email address is in a directory. So if something here strikes you your fancy that you want to talk about more or you have someone you think I can reach that you cannot, feel free to give me a line. Here we go. <clears throat> around age 12 my grandmother bought a Ouija board and she made us use it at least once each time while we were there shortly after my mother started taking me to our local Methodist church I was always happy when I was there and never understood why around age 13 I was snooping around for Christmas presents in my parents closet and found my adoption papers when I asked my parents about them I was told it was because I was born before my mom and dad got married I never truly believed that by age 14, my dad had become a volunteer firefighter in the town we lived in. Had a total population of less than 300. Everyone knew everyone. It was pure small town living. One day the fire phone rang and I answered the call. Well, my dad came in about 10 minutes later and the public announcement siren was still going. I felt I needed to tell him that I loved him and never got the chance. He was in and out that fast. He loved being a volunteer fireman. Around 8 p.m. that night, I got up from the TV. 
went to the back deck, looked east, saw a flash and heard a boom. It was seven miles away. My heart immediately sunk. That next morning, my mom told me and my little brother our dad was dead. By age 15, my mom had a boyfriend and was flying back and forth from Fort Lauderdale to be with him three or four days a week and sometimes for a week or more, leaving me to raise my 11-year-old brother while I was still needing to be a kid myself. I had to become a man. From this push to be a man came my introduction into drugs and alcohol. Hey, it was the 80s. Cocaine, spandex, and big hair was a hot ticket. It was readily available and socially acceptable. The year is 1988 now, and I started dating my wife, Becky. Being the adult I had to be for so long, I decided to get married. When I told my mom I proposed, she told me, and I quote, If I was old enough to make the decision to get married, I was old enough to be on my own, and she kicked me out. At the age of 17, I was homeless. May 1989, I graduated. August 25th, 1989, I got married. Hey, I finally made it through the 80s, only to be beat down worse than the 90s. By 1991, I'd become a full-fledged alcoholic and a very abusive husband. Subsequently, my marriage was suffering, and Becky moved away. Now I was truly alone because the only one that ever believed in me was gone. After a year of self-pity and trying to drink myself to death, I finally convinced Becky to come back, that I would change. Well, I did just enough to keep her around while I ran off and did whatever I wanted. By 1993, I had lost everything and had to file bankruptcy. August 10, 1995 was the birth of our first child. Overnight, my life changed again. I was back to having to be a man and provide for my family. Once again, I chose a path of self-indulgence and destruction. Back to the booze. Along with this, my biological father came into my life after 25 years. He lived 12 miles from where I grew up in a neighboring town, and I never knew it. Still, the void in my heart was never filled. Meeting my father definitely made me glad God had blessed me with the dad that I had known for only 14 years. Even though he was gone, I was a better person because of him. Had I grown up with my biological father, I truly believe I would be dead right now. April 28, 1998, my second son was born. Here came another dose of responsibility, and back to the bottle I went. Well, the 90s are finally over, and I was still alive. 2001, I lost everything again. I had to file bankruptcy. About this time, I moved to Mooresville to get into auto racing. Things were great up until I started going on the road. This was a whole new lifestyle filled with drugs, booze, and beautiful women, which I made the choice of letting myself get sucked into. Even though I told everybody I wasn't doing those things, I was. I was living two lives, one on the road and one when I was home. In July 2006, I had made up my mind to end my marriage of 17 years in favor of my life that I was living on the road with my teammates and girlfriend. I had let myself become mentally abusive by this time, as well as still being physically abusive. A couple months after one of these physically abusive times, Becky went to get a restraining order to keep me out of the house and away from my boys. My marriage was officially over. She got the restraining order and a police officer that had a bias against people in auto sports had taken warrants out for my arrest. September 24, 2006, the Fall Dover race. Our plane lands in Charlotte. The flight director comes on the intercom and asks me to stand up, so I do so, and was promptly informed I had to depart the aircraft or nobody else would be allowed to depart. I walked down the steps. As I got to the bottom, two policemen placed me under arrest and handcuffed me in front of 200 of my fellow co-workers. 
talk about a dose of humility. Wait, it only gets better. So therefore, I'm transported from Charlotte to Iredell County Jail. I go before the judge that Monday morning. He explains the charges. I about hit the floor. The first charge is a 15 to 35 year sentence. The second charge is 25 to life. I was placed on a million dollar cash bond. I saw it as my life was over, literally. That I had messed it up so bad I was doomed to live the rest of it out as a caged animal, a hardened criminal. So I was placed in a room 15 foot by 30 foot with 19 other men. There were only 16 beds. Three of us were on the floor every night. No matter what you did, the other cellmates or guards saw you, whether it be shaving, showering, or even using a restroom, you were watched. October 14th, this little gray-haired guy comes in and walks up to me and says he's here to see me. That was the day I took Jesus into my heart. Right then and there, I knew it was okay. I was going to be okay. The hole in my heart was finally filled. Ten days later, my bond was reduced to a 10% $7,500 bond. The guys I worked with pulled the money together and bailed me out. Thirty days after that, I received a letter in the mail. All charges had been dropped. I was back with Becky and the boys by this time, with my marriage on the rocks and my boys needing help that I could not give them. I made a statement about taking them to church. A friend of ours brought us here to River Life. The rest, they say, is history. As I stand here and tell all of you the very short and abbreviated version of my life, remember this. Number one, God will never give you more than you can handle. Number two, when you don't have the answer, ask him. He's got it. And number three, to quote my favorite piece of scripture that I've read so far, John 15:13, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Those are words Jesus spoke. And they were spoke about Peter who offered to lay his life down in place of Jesus's. So on that note, I want to ask you these three questions in closing. Truthfully ask yourself, How full of love is your heart? Number two, would you or could you take Jesus' place if asked? And number three, is the love in your heart truly a love for God? Thank you for your time. That was a great testimony, wasn't it? It's a gold mine. That's what that's, that's a gold mine. Let's just pray for a second. Father, thank you for this great, wonderful testimony of your passion and love for us. And Lord, we just pray that um, pray we'd all know that passion and love in a greater way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for thank you for what you've done in our lives, Lord. It's, it's nothing more precious, Lord. We just thank you for that, Father. Bless Jeremy. Lord and Becky and their kids pray that Jeremy would come into everything that you have for him the destiny that you placed upon his life in Jesus name Amen that's really good, it's kind of hard to preach after that <laughs> it's really hard alrighty I'm going to read something to you that somebody wrote it was pretty good actually I wrote it So <laughs> I write some pretty good stuff by the way, if you, you know, I send an email out every week, and uh, if you would like to get on the list, you can send me an email, and I'll be glad to put you on my list, but I only do it by request. Uh, but it's pretty good stuff, most of it, mostly, although I realized I made a mistake in one I recently sent out. I thought, oh, and nobody caught it. 
so I called it after I sent it out. I thought, oh, that little, one little word in there should not be in there because it throws a meaning off. Anyways, this is what the Lord spoke. This is what I wrote in January of 2008. Uh, I have sought the Lord to give me a specific word for 2008, and he gave me the word intentional. I felt the Lord was clearly showing me a hard attitude that we would need in order to see some of the visions and assignments he has birthed in us raised up this year. I believe we're in the beginning of a new spiritual era, and each, each of us has an opportunity for a fresh start and a repositioning. That's pretty prophetic, wasn't it? I have one person to say yes. What's wrong with the rest of y'all? <laughs> Two days after the Lord gave me the word intentional, I was browsing in a bookstore and ran across, across a book entitled Reposition Yourself by T.D. Jakes, no other. <laughs> I actually bought the book and read some of it. But the best part of the whole book was what Dr. Phil wrote in the foreword. Anybody Dr. Phil fans in here? You can raise your hand. Well, there's a couple of people that's willing to tell the truth. (laughs) Here's what Dr. Phil wrote. It is an undeniable truth that one year from now, your life will be better or it will be worse. But it won't be the same. Now, I want you to think about for a minute. I want, I want you to think about your life one year ago. Think about your life de- December 7, 2007, that area. Think about your life and think about what has changed in your life. Just think about that for a minute on a personal level. Your life is different. And so for some of us, it's better. For some of us, it's not so much better. But think about our nation. I bet you a, a good portion of you people in here had never heard of Barack Obama last year at this time. If you were telling him, I'd never heard of him. If I had, I'd never really connected anything about him. And he's going to be our president in a little over a month, the president of our nation, a man that we never really even knew anything about. None of us would have ever thought a black man would be the president of our nation next year. We would, it just wasn't in our little grid of thinking. But nevertheless, it is. And none of us would have ever thought that we'd have seen the stock market fall 700 points in one day without the economy just completely imploding. Yet yeah, it has fallen 700 points and recovered some of it. We've seen it's been a roller coaster. We've never dreamed of such things happening in our nation, yet they're happening. And uh, I think God, this is what God was telling me now. He, he was telling me he wants to give us a strategy, okay? A strategy for our lives. Now, versus... I want to make a little differentiation between strategy and tactic. Y'all, y'all, most of y'all know the difference between strategy and tactic. Some of you, strategy is what you're going to do. Tactic or tactical is how you're going to do it. I think God wants to release strategy for us for the visions and purposes that he's given each one of us. Because God has given every, pers- a per- every person in this room many visions, many purposes that we're to fulfill, but if we're not intentional, if we don't have an intentional plan in our life, okay, let me just tell you this, it is not going to happen. Okay, it's just not going to happen. God really is calling us to become intentional people, intentional about the things He's told us, intentional by His purposes and plan. If we're, if we're serious with God when He speaks something to us, to do or to be or whatever, we need to get real intentional about it because if we're not intentional about this, it's not going to happen. It just doesn't. That's just not the way God works. Uh, I hate to tell you, <laughs> I seriously do because I wish God would just do stuff automatically, but He doesn't do it that way. 
Uh, let me just say this to you. I really hadn't planned on saying this, but one of the big revelations that God has given me in the last couple of years is the, is the difference between a wilderness mindset and a promised land mindset. Okay, the wilderness mindset, God's going to just do it all. He's just going to plop the, the, the food down from heaven. He's just going to, you know, plop the water out of the rock. And that was how he did it in the wilderness. But when we crossed over into the promised land, he gave mankind a garden. And he said, go work the garden, and you'll eat from the garden that you've worked in. It's God working with us. Y'all have all heard the story, I know you've heard this old story, about the, about the farmer who had a tremendous uh, uh, field of corn and he invited the pastor over to his house to have a meal and the pastor was talking about how, how God had blessed and given him such wonderful corn and the, the farmer said, God, my foot, I did that. That's <laughs> so what he said. He's, and the pastor, you know, took offense at the guy, you know, for not giving God the glory. And the, and the farmer said, I'll tell you what, one year from now, what we're going to do, I want you to come back. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to plant my field, and I'm going to let God have him have half of it. And we'll look and see. So year, the next year, the, the pastor came, and there was the farmer's half of the field was beautiful corn, and the other half was, was just a bunch of weeks. God's part was. Because God has called us to work with him in what he's doing. And as we work with God, that's what brings God the glory in the promised land. And that's where we're living now, and that's really what I'm talking about being intentional. If we're gonna if we're gonna come into all that God has for us personally and corporately, we're gonna have to get really intentional about it. And I've had to ask myself, you know, Lord, have I been intentional? Well let me read Acts twenty six nineteen. I have been intentional about certain things, by the way. Uh, one thing I'm real intentional about is the spiritual realm. That's my biggest intention in life is, is, is being released into the spiritual realm, letting the re- spiritual realm be released through me. Uh, Acts 26, 19. Here's one of the most strategic and intentional men that ever walked the face of the earth, the Apostle Paul. Think about all the things he went through. He had prophets prophesying to him about difficult things that were ahead. And he had sincere believers that he loved begging him not to go and do certain things. But he wouldn't do it. He, he wouldn't do it. And he said, uh, when he was standing before King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. I did not prove disobedient to him. And God has, you know, he had it in his heart that God had given him a vision. God had given him a call and a purpose. And he, he had a focus and an intent that he was going to do it no matter what happened. And no matter what anybody said, no matter what anybody prophesied over him, he went after that thing. I had a good friend of mine. This is what he said to me. I, I was so, so mad at my friend for a bit. I think I may have told you all about this, but it just my friend when when the revival broke down in Lakeland, I was trying to convince him about how much that was God. And he said, Byron, I totally agree that's God, but I'm not going to get involved in it. And I thought, why? Why? This is God. He said, because if I do that, it will pull me away from the thing that I know God's called me to do. And I said, thought, well, you're just messed up, man. <laughs> you just messed up. Later, I realized the wisdom that man had and the lack of wisdom I had because that man was doing, and he wouldn't allow another great thing that God was doing to pull him away from the thing that God had called him to do. And that's the way Paul was. Paul had that kind of burning thing in him that he knew what God had called him to do, and he was very intentional to do it. And that's really the position we have to take. But we need a, we need a strategy 
And God wants to give us a strategy to stay on the course. Now, I want to read something to Andy Stanley a couple of weeks ago when I talked about visioneering. Uh, Andy Stanley wrote the book Visioneering. I really recommend the book. We did the book in Christ School of Ministry. This is what Andy said. In your pursuit of the various visions God has placed before you, you will be prone to drift. In one sense, we are all like children playing in an undertow. We live, work, and play in an undertow. There is a current that is constantly pulling us towards compromise, self-sufficiency, and expediency. Compromise, self-sufficiency, and expediency. There's something... We are in a world that is pulling us on us constantly away from God's purposes and plans for our life, whether we realize it or not. You know, they say some of these people who get caught in these riptides, they don't realize it until they look up and see the shore so far away. They didn't realize it because it's a subtle thing that happens to them. Happened to my kids one time when they were little. They were out there on a raft with a couple other kids. And... Philip, thank God for Philip. Philip saved Aaron and Grace's life and these two other kids' lives. Came running up to us screaming because the kids were going out to sea in a raft. Fortunately, the guy we were with, because I mean, if he if wouldn't have been him and my kids had been gone, this guy I was with was a really excellent swimmer and swam way out there and got those kids. It was his kids too, so he had a reason for going out there. <laughs> got those kids, but those kids were drifting away. And that's really where a lot of us are. I mean, honestly, we're going to have to face something today. A lot of us are in the drift mode with God, in a drift mode about God's purposes and plans over your life. Um, this is something somebody else said, and it may be me that said this. Okay, I do not know. I wrote this down, but I did write it down here. I can't tell you where I got it. So I'm just giving possible credit to somebody else, but it may be mine. So <laughs> I'm serious. Spiritual breakthrough will not keep us from slipping back into the spiritual lethargic state that we were delivered from. Uh, how many people have had a, a breakthrough in the last couple of years in their life? Raise your hand. I want to say, a lot of people have had breakthrough, man. Breakthrough is awesome. Okay? Breakthrough is not a one-time fix, though. It's not a one-time fix. All those spiritual breakthroughs are necessary... They're not an end-all. You still have to live it. Getting to, you know, Graham Cook, I remember several years ago hearing him speak. I don't know what he talked about, but I do remember one thing he said, and that message has stuck with me. He said, it's one thing to get a breakthrough. It's another thing to keep your breakthrough. It's one thing to get a breakthrough. We love breakthrough, man. That's why we call our Wednesday night meeting breakthrough, because we're looking for a breakthrough from God. But the truth is, the next morning, you've got to live that breakthrough. The next morning, the next day, and next week, and see, it really is one thing to get one. We won't help people come into breakthrough, but we also want to help people walk that breakthrough out in their life and live that breakthrough. Amen? And so there's this undertow in our life trying to pull us away from the breakthroughs and from the purposes of God that He has for us, personally and corporately. And if we don't become aware of some of the common things that pull us away. There's some common things. Now, remember several years ago, most of you are, who were in our church a few years ago, we had, I read this little book called The Father Heart of God by Floyd McClung. Anybody remember that book? Yeah, it was one of the most... Floyd McClung was like a spiritual father uh, in the Father Heart of God movement, in the revival that God brought. He got this revelation way back. And we, I remember we had a meeting back there in the back room, a bunch of people like, you know, to really try to explore this thing and really kind of come in to what the Father heart of God really is all about. It's one of the most profound revelations 
that you'll ever have in your life. And it really is the move of God in the earth is all about the revelation of the Father heart of God. And so that book was really a, just a tremendous thing, and I really recommend you get the book. It's a simple little easy book to read, and it really had set me on a course uh, that I credit like when the Holy Spirit River showed up, it all started when I read that little book in my life. That was a key thing for me is to understand that river is all about the Father. It's all about the Father's heart. It's all about the Father revealing himself. Well, I just gave you a commercial. It really had nothing to do with what I was saying, but... <laughs> Floyd wrote another book called something. You see a, a mountain or something, and I see something else. And Yeah, you see, I got the book. It's pretty good. It's not as good as the other one. It's thick, and it's real wordy. I hate wordy stuff, don't you? I like simple stuff, gosh. But anyway, he wrote this one thing in there that was really good, and he gave these, these things uh, about things that, that hinder us. In other words... Well, I was getting, these are some things, I'm going to use his words, I didn't, I'm going to use his little panels he put on it, uh, because they were so good, but I'm sort of, I made up the other stuff in it, so I didn't, I didn't get his stuff, but he, these are like the undertoes, these are the things that are going to pull you away from God, these are things that are going to pull you away from the purpose, these are common, everyday things, and the first one he, uh, the word he used was plateauing, spiritual plateauing. And that's a period or a phase when there's little or no spiritual growth in your life. Now, I'm going to ask you a question this morning. I want you, I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you growing spiritually right now? Or is your spiritual growth so little? Now, you, only you can answer that question. But if you're really not growing spiritually right now, you've, you've hit a plateau, and there's a lot of reasons for plateaus. Well, I know one, a big one in my life one time was pride. Pride, you know, God resists the proud. I remember I went for a long time, months, where God was not talking to me, you know, at all. And I just wasn't going anywhere spiritually. I was just dull and dead. That's really what I was. I was just dead. I was dead. And, you know, and, and everything spiritual just seemed far away from me. And I'll never forget it. I was down in Wilmington. I was working down there. Uh, and I remember it, going and getting the shower after working one day and asking God, Lord, what is wrong with me? And this memory popped in my mind. It was God telling me what was wrong with me, and it was a time, a few, honestly, it was something I did that I really did really well, okay? But I fell into pride over it, okay? And I knew right that moment God was saying, your problem is pride, and I resist proud people. And I immediately humbled myself to the Lord at that moment and confessed, oh, God, I'm guilty. I, I got into pride over that deal that I did, and, and I'm sorry, and I ask you to forgive me. And, and, and he did, and, and instantly my spiritual life uh, went back into a mode of, of, of hunger for God and love for God and, and desire for God. I mean, everything changed in an instant for me. It was pride. Another thing that gets people is disappointment. A lot of Christians have disappointment on them. It, it didn't work out the way they thought. Oh, I got, you know, people, you see this with people, they'll get a major breakthrough in their life, and they're expecting some big thing to happen that doesn't work, doesn't happen. And they get disappointed. Their expectations get let down. They get discouraged. Oh, it was, you know, I thought, whoa, I thought there's so many people got disappointed after the Lakeland revival stopped. You know, just so disappointed. And they just stopped. I know Christians who got disappointed 30 years ago because things didn't work out the way they thought, and they stopped. And they would tell you today they're still Christians, but they're no different than they were 30 years ago. How can, you be, how can that be right? You know? 
Another time, you know, we do go through seasons of testing in our life all the time, whether we realize or not. God's, you know, and some of us get stuck in this circular Christianity, going around the same mountain over and over and over, the same relational issue, the same, you know, thing, and, and we, we stop growing because we're not getting, you know, because God keeps, you know, God really doesn't let us fail the test. If we don't pass it, he just says, good, you're going to keep taking it. You know, it'd be great in, in math class if you failed. And like, well, here, take it again, man. Just keep taking it till you get it. But you're stuck in the classroom taking the same test over and over and over. And you're not really paying attention. So I think, you know, you have to ask yourself if you've spiritually plateaued, where you're at on that, and ask God to reveal it to you. Because I'll tell you, you can look in a person, you can tell about it, you can... You can do it. You can tell about yourself. Another one, this is really a good one uh, that Floyd brought up, and he called inner vows. Inner vows. Uh, these are normally promises we make to ourselves, usually in response to pain or difficult situations we experience. Uh, here's some examples of an inner vow. I will never let anyone get that close to me again. That's an inner vow. I will never trust God like that again. I will never step out in ministry again. I will never make myself that vulnerable again. All of those are, vo- are vows, and these vows are wicked because what these vows do, they pollute your spirit. They pollute your thinking. You, you get this polluted value system going. And the whole direction of your life, you're being directed by values and desires and stuff, often, a, often something that's wicked. Well, here's a, here's a classic one. I've used this one. I bet you everybody in this room uses this. Especially when somebody's admonishing you, correcting you. Becky can, you know, she's an expert on correcting me. <laughs> well, I've used this. Becky, that's just the way I am. That's no good. That's a vow. Basically what you have done is you put the lid on yourself. If you're a person who has anger and you're being corrected for having anger and you say, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, that's just the way I am. No. You, you, have put a, you have given yourself permission to stay angry. Oh, I just have a weakness in that area. You've given yourself a weakness. You, you understand what I'm saying to you? And these things will pull you... Th- those are t- a pretty strong currents that will pull you away from what God has for you. They really will. I mean, and really what we have to do is ask the Holy Spirit. Only He can show you those. Well, only He can show you any of this. But you ask Him, He'll show you. He'll bring it to your mind. He'll bring it to your heart. A vow that you have made. Oh, I'll never speak to that person again. You know, I mean, there's so many things that we say and do that really we don't really understand the power those things have over us and how they direct our life, how they create uh, attitudes and, and, and things in us. Very powerful, very strong. All right, another one is, is, is what Floyd called unfocused vision. Uh, let's read that First Corinthians. I love that verse because uh, sometimes you get around. Have you ever been around a person that has so many visions, so many passions? It's just confusing to you. One day they're up, the next day they're down. One day they're on to something, the next day not. Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm in. I'm I'm ready. And then a week later, where are you? You don't really. It just drives you nuts. It says even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? Um, for if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So really what we have to do is we've got to find a focus. And, and you can't have 943 different spiritual visions. You can't have 87 visions you know, to, for the way you look. 
You know, you gotta get you you gotta get somewhere. You gotta get a focus. This is what what God has told me. This is what I'm gonna do. I don't care what everybody else is doing around me. This is what I'm doing. This is what God's put in my heart to do. Hey, I heard uh, Warren Buffett. Y'all know who Warren Buffett is? I'll just tell you about Big Warren, the richest man in the world. Man, he did this. This guy's cool. I mean, I don't know about everything about him, but this is one thing this guy does. He invites uh, from different colleges, universities. Their business school, their top business school people. He has a bunch of these people come, students, and he does this uh, Buffett University where they bring in. It's a one day thing where they come in and they can, you know, a group of them. These are real smart, you know, graduate level kids that are going to be business. And they ask him questions and he tells them. And, uh, you know, he's really trying to help them, really trying to envision them. You know, for the world he's in, and but this is, they were asking about being. How do you be successful? And all. he said, "This is how you be successful. You find out what you're really passionate about. You go after that." He said, "Because that way, you get up in the morning, you love what you're doing, you love the people you're in, and you, you're ready to go, and you go do it. And if you don't do that, you're going to be miserable." And he says, "When he buys a company, because that's what he does. He buys companies. He makes sure he doesn't go in and makes it work." the people who are who are running the company that they lose their passion for what they're doing. And it was he don't put all these restrictions on them and stuff that that hurt them. And the guy's been tremendously successful doing that, following the passions that God has placed in his heart. And you had to I mean this is a little bit off. You gotta find out what those passions really are. If you don't you'll never be successful. You will never be said, and you'll be like uh, the wind blowing from here to yonder. Everybody's opinion is going to count too much to, in your life. You know, you're going to be unstable when you're challenged. But when you start finding out really what God has put in you, and that's how the, what the passions are. When you start that and you start pursuing that, you can get real secure no matter what's happening, no matter what people are saying. This is who God made me. This is what God called me to do. I don't have to feel unworthy. I don't have to compare myself. Because none of that matters no more. Are y'all seeing what I'm saying here? But you can't just go, well, today, hey, I want to be like Matthew. Oh, no, I want to be like Heather Wicker, if you're a girl. <laughs> you know, forget that. You need to find out who God's, what God's put in you and forget all these other things. And go after that. And you'll be a lot better off, I'll tell you that. He, this is what, one thing that Floyd said. This is his quote. Unfocused vision results in taking the side roads of life and then calling them the main road. There's people in here, I'm telling you, there's people in this road, you are on the side road in your life. You're not on the road that God called you to be on. Paul the Apostle said this at the end of the I finished my course. I finished it. I stayed on my course, not somebody else's course. I didn't try to finish Peter's course. I finished mine. Okay, and that's really what we all need to be able to say when we come to the end. I finished it. I did with my life what God said for me to do with my life, and I finished it. I didn't start it and not finish it. I didn't start 78. You know, some people have got great. They have started 100 races, but they have not finished any. We need to finish what God's called us to do. So that's what I'm saying, y'all are right. All right, the next one, y'all are going to love this one with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. It's called finances. <laughs> now, it is true in America, we're obsessed with money and stuff, right? I mean, that's just a flat truth. We're obsessed with it, and we're obsessed with our future security, our retirement and our financial planning. And listen, there's nothing wrong with, you know, 
saving money. And But did you find out, man, you probably, if you had money in savings, you probably lost a bunch of that money recently. You probably really did. Uh, because all that, as good as it is, if it is more important to you than God's calling, God's death, and God's purpose in your life, then it's no good for you. Okay? When those things become so that important, and we, and we really are, as a nation, obsessed with those things. We're obsessed with our possessions. And I like to have stuff. I'll be honest with you. There's some things I want. Becky will tell you that. She, she, I'll figure out how to buy something. If I want something, I'll say. I go see something I want. I'll save money and save money. I'll save from, I have me a little plan. I'll save and save and save until I get the money to get it. Because I want it. Okay? So I'm not sitting here telling you I don't want some stuff. I just don't want what a lot of people want. But I do want some stuff. But this is what Jesus said. Now, this is what he said. And this is where we've really got to face some facts here. You know, and I'm not against nice homes. I live in a very nice home. I live better in a better home than I've ever lived in my entire life. I'm making less money than I've ever made in a professional sense. In fact, I was making more money in 1988 than I'm making now. I live in a better house, drive better cars. You should have seen the cars I was driving when I was making really good money. I was driving junk piles. <laughs> this is crazy. I thought, how did I, I don't know how I did this. Well, I drove one. I had to keep the window rolled down because it smelled like gas. <laughs> in the wintertime, I had to keep the windows open because it would kill me driving it to work every day. But I didn't even care. Anyways, back to the subject. This is what Jesus said. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. That's what he's saying. That's, and we're seeing that. The moth and rust in our economic system is taken over. And there's some thieves getting our stuff. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Now, this is what he's saying. This is where your treasure has got to be. You've got to store up heaven. It's got to be spiritual. That's what he's saying. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in their still. Nobody's going to get that stuff up there. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart. And that's, the, that's Jesus' word. So we had to ask, where's my treasure? Is my treasure here or is it there? I mean, that's a hard question to ask yourself. But those are questions we had to ask. Because if our treasure is here, we're being pulled away from what God has for us. And that's the truth. And there's no way around it. Y'all saying a big amen on that one, aren't you? <laughs> Ooh, it's hard to live, isn't it? especially when you want something new and nice. Anyways, thank you, Lord. All right, here's my last one. Are you good? Yeah. This is the best one. It's called Frantic Pace of Life. Anybody has a Frantic Pace of Life in here this morning? I can't, man, I can't stand my life is so frantic. Oh, it's just like, ah. Oh. Well, life is frantic. Everybody has a frantic pace of life. Everybody's busy. Okay, that's just a, that's a part of the culture we live in is, is busyness. However, in the middle of being busy, because I don't really see some things we can get rid of, right? I mean, there's some things you're going to have to do. But there's some things that we've let go of that we shouldn't let, have letting go of. Okay? Now, I want you to hear exactly what I'm saying to you about this, because this right here is going to be key for us. Because um, if, if we don't do this, we are going to be missing the most important thing there is in our life on this earth. And I wanted to tell you, let me tell you, take you around to get you here. We, we had something unusual happen in our church Wednesday night. I mean, slam unusual. 
It, it was just, it was baffling to me. I couldn't figure this thing out. I think, what in the world was, I have never seen anything like this before. And it was the worship. I thought, I have never seen worship like this in my entire life. Where did this come from? It was the most unusual worship that I have ever been. And I've been in a lot of places in a lot of different kinds of worship as a Christian. Because, you know, I was never in a traditional church, really, as a Christian. Except maybe this and one here and there. So I got a little experience on doing traditional worship. But this was not, this was not high praise. This wasn't deep worship. This wasn't congregational worship. This wasn't prophetic worship. This wasn't creative worship. This was none of those things. It was just, what in the world is this? It felt like there were 300 people in this room singing. And they weren't a bunch of people here, and the ones who were here weren't singing because they were sort of had this look on their face like, I felt sorry. There were some visitors. I felt sorry. I thought, boy, I feel sorry for them people. They're thinking this is how we do worship in this church. I feel bad. I couldn't think. I thought, but I can't explain it to them. Because I'm going to tell you something. The 300 people in there were the 300 angels. Because I really believe we tapped into Revelation 4 and 5 worship. You know, we have heard for years all the sound of hell and the new sound, all that. Listen, whatever you heard, forget it. There's a big surprise that we're going to get. There's a surprise that God has for us for what it's really like in heaven. It ain't like we thought. So, I'm sitting here trying to figure out how this deal is working. You know, like, why is this like this? You know? Because here's what God's been showing me recently. Is, I love manifestations. Okay? I used to didn't love them. Honestly, I really hated them, but I've sort of switched over to the love inside. I went from that love to hate the love. You know, I really do love, but the Lord began to speak to me and tell me, listen, you've got you, I'm not saying you, I'm just saying me, you have got to go from just seeing the manifestation but seeing the reason, seeing the purpose behind it. Because when He does something, there's a purpose behind it. There's a reason He's doing it. It's not just to have that experience at that moment, although the experience is a great thing. And the experience can be very impacting on your life. But God wants to reveal some other things to us, some of the secret things of what He's doing in the background. Why, why is the, so I was asking, God, what is going on here? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to show us? And he, kept, he said one thing to me. He said one thing. I'm trying to break open the deep here. I'm thinking, what does that mean? What does it mean to break open the deep? Come on. Don't you love how God tells you something that makes a bit of sense in the world? Like, okay, he's breaking up the sin. We're breaking up the deep. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> how can that, you know, God does like to talk to us like that and not give you all the information up front because he wants us to search it out. Because in the searching out, we find God. We find a relationship with him. That's why he does that. If y'all were wondering that, have you ever wondered that? Why he speaks, he gives you pictures like the other day, I was just laying there enjoying the Lord, and he, I said, well, Lord, what you want to say to me? And I saw a front door on a house in a big old lot. I thought, what does that mean? Is my, is my door locked? What is it? He ain't told me yet, but I promise you, he will tell you. He has revelation he wants to give people. So he was saying, so I started looking it up in the Bible, and then the Lord finally gave me this scripture, finally. Because you look at, there's 90 scriptures on deep, you know, deep, broken, you know, the flood and all that, and then, this wasn't hitting. This is what it was. Hey, and let me tell you how the, 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 about the worship. Becky got that worship from a dream. That's where she, why she, how she figured out how to do it. 
God gave her a dream about it, and she was in the dream she was getting some opposition, worrying about what people were thinking, but she decided to do it, and she felt the same thing when she did it. This is one thing I have found in life, okay? And if this works, man, I'm telling you, when God tells you to do something, if you'll do it, no matter how stupid it seems, how ridiculous it seems, how weak it seems, it always works. And the thing you think is going to work never works. God loves to confound. You know, He just loves to confound people. Don't you love that about God? God, that's ridiculous, Lord. Why would you do that? No, if you'll just do it, you'll see how ridiculous it is. That's the heart of God because He's different from us. Isn't that right? I love all that stuff when I ain't having to deal with it at the moment. When I'm dealing with it at the moment, I'm anxious about it. Like, oh, God, please. This is so humiliating, you know? Anyways, deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. Okay, that's, that's what he, he gave me. That, to, that verse and one more I want to read to you. But this is what he was saying to me. He was saying this. There is something deep in every one of you that's calling out to me. In every one of you, there's something deep, and there's something deep in me calling out to you. And I'm trying to break that up. I'm trying to get you to go beyond all the stuff. I'm trying to get you. I, I want to talk to you. That's what he said. I've got something to say, and I'm looking for some people who will just give me the opportunity to talk to them. Now, that's deep. That's him breaking up the deep. He's just looking for somebody that he can talk to. And he gave me this other scripture, and I'm going to give it to you in the New Living Translation because it says it well. Psalm 28, 27, verse 8. My heart has heard you say. Now, that's what I heard the other night. Out of all that, you know, that stuff they were doing, and, you know, the stuff. I and mean, that's what it sounded, man. It sounded like a buzz going through here. It's just buzzing, man. What kind of worship is buzzing worship. People are going to hate this church over this, Lord. It sounded that way. Come, my heart has heard you say, Come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. That's, that's the breaking up of the deep. That's, that's what it is right there. My heart has heard you say. And I'm going to tell you this today. If your life has been so frantic, or if you are so unfocused in your vision and calling, or any of these things, or whatever it may be, distracted, discouraged, bummed out, your expectations blown, and you're not hearing that, put that back up there, Pam. If you're not hearing that, she's going to put it back up. If you are not hearing God say, come talk with me, then I want to tell you something. God has put me here to tell you something. God is saying to you, go talk to God. Hear that. God is saying He wants for you to come to Him and talk to Him. And if you will do that in your life, if you will respond, Lord, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm going to give you a chance. And I'm going to tell you right now, God's talking. But he ain't talking maybe the way he was six months ago. Okay, but he's talking. He's talking a lot. If you will give God a chance, that man last week that came here and spoke, he told us the secret. If you ever wanted, like, give me that one secret to connect in the spiritual realm, he he told it to us. Did y'all catch it? Y'all caught it, right? The spiritual realm. He said, 
Just go and get with the Father. Okay? That's all you've got to do right now. If you'll just get with the Father. Now here, I want you to get all this. Well, I've got to go read the Bible. I've got to get up and go pray. And I've got to go pray in tongues for 30 minutes. And I've got to read X amounts in the Bible and meditate on that. And, you know, pray all these different prayers and all that stuff. Forget that stuff. Now listen, I love reading the Bible. And I do like to pray in tongues quite a bit, honestly. Those are good things. But what I'm talking to you is not that. I'm really talking to you about... Well, I could say, if I said soaking, you would be, somebody would just automatically close your mind off. But to me, that's what it is. To me, personally, personally, this is what God's talking about. He's not talking corporately. Now, I think He does talk corporately, but personally, He's saying, be still. Get with me and just be still before me. And let me, let me talk to you. Let me do something. Let me release something on you. And if I believe if we'll do that, then we are going to start getting some passion back in our life again. We're going to start getting some hunger back in our life again. But if you don't give God the time to do that, and I'm going to tell you something. I want to give you, give you an escape here, especially if you're a man who gets up at 5.30 in the morning, you know, jumps in your vehicle and drives to work and is there and gets home at 6 o'clock at night, and you're pretty dead tired from working. Okay, I mean, you. I, no, I don't think God's sitting there saying, you need to be spending an hour with me before you get up and go to work. I mean, I just don't see. But what I do see is God could say, if there's a place in your day where ten minutes of your time could be to allow me to come on you. Like at lunch, if you go get in your truck, or, you know, crawl under your... You know, whatever. Crawl. I know, a, I got a friend of mine in construction, you know what he told me? He said, I always loved it when we did foundations, because... I would crawl down there and hold a dog at lunch and, and be with the Lord. So I'm not talking about just going and reading the Bible. And I suggest Bible reading and all that highly. I think it's really an important thing for Christians to do. And I think it's important for us to bring our request to the Lord. And, you know, but I am thinking this. God wants to talk to you. He wants to download some stuff to you. Okay? And when you begin to give Him that, guess what's going to happen? You are going to start getting information from heaven. You really will. I'm telling you, this is working. And there's angelic activity like crazy right now. Okay? There really is. There's a lot of angelic activity being released. And if that really bothers you, I don't think, I'm not seeing any bothered people in here this morning, but Jesus had to have angels to help him. Right? He needed some angels to come minister. If he needed them, what, we probably need a 70 or 80 to help us. You know? But God's releasing the angelic presence into people's life. And a lot of that, you know, you'll get sometimes, not all the time, is when you're with the Lord like that, there'll be angels and you will be able to possibly see them or see, their, see that they're there in some way or feel them, feel their activity around you. Okay? I had this one. I was, I'll just tell you this one just so you can understand. I had this one little, and it looked like a very little angel. I mean, we're talking like that. I thought, what is that? And the Lord says, it's an angel. I said, well, there's no angel can be that little. I mean, good gracious. And the Lord said to me, it does, in the natural, big people are the ones you need to be scared of. In the, in the spiritual realm, it doesn't matter how big an angel is. You better, you better not make that angel mad. You better do what he tells you to do. And I've assigned that angel to you. I have assigned him to your mouth because you need help with your mouth. That's what he told me. You need help to be able to speak graceful things in your mouth because I have given you guys the power of life and death in your mouth. 
And Byron, you are the kind of guy who needs a little extra help <laughs> with your mouth. So I've given this angel, and if you don't do right, that angel may get upset with you. And you don't want him upset with you because he might grab your lip. <laughs> you know? So these are the kinds of things that you could get in a few moments with God. Not always. Sometimes it's just a vision or something. Sometimes, but you can, you can begin to get this renewal inside of you. And you can get this thing in you where you begin to love God again. I mean, you get some passion about God. You all of a sudden, you got some passion about reading the Bible. You got some passion about worshiping the Lord. And you got some faith for things. And see, a lot of people lose that stuff. See, the toe has pulled you away, and that, to me, is the one thing that we must do. And I'll tell you this. I'm going to tell you this. It's about 1 o'clock. <laughs> but I do want to tell you this. Jesus told his disciples one time to do this. Okay? You find the story in Mark 6. He told them to do what I'm telling you to do right now. They didn't do it. Jesus sent them guys into a massive storm. They thought they were going to die because the storm was so bad. And they, were, they knew about storms. They were fishermen. They knew how, you know, they, but they knew this one's one we can't deal with. This is way over our heads. But Jesus sent them into it. And he said to them, he said to them, this is what he said to them when he got them, got them everything settled, got in a boat, everything's okay, he's here, the storm stopped. He said, you didn't gain any insight from the miracle I just performed. And the reason you didn't gain any insight because you didn't, you didn't, you haven't been with the Father. You haven't been there for Him to soften you. You haven't been there for Him to touch you. You haven't given Him that chance. And we have storms in front of us that He's going to say, go, I want you to go over yonder, and you're going to find yourself in a mess. And if you haven't gained insight in revelation from heaven, you are going to be like the disciples in the boat, freaking like, we're dying, man, come on, we're doing a die. Where are you, God? And then Jesus is going to show up like He did, and it says they were scared of Jesus. They couldn't even recognize Him. And it all boiled back to that one little thing. He said, go get some rest. Go to a seclusion. He didn't say, go to church. So you can't just come to church and think this is going to be it for you. This is not it for you. What you need to do is go be with Him and then come to church and bring what you got out of that revelation moment. Instead of, you see, some of us have got it. We've lost, we've lost it. We've lost what God's done in our life. You know? And that's how you regain it is you just go get with Him and let Him... Lord, i got ten minutes. i got ten minutes. Is that going to be good enough? That's great. Come on. Sit down, go get in your car. You know, just be still. And let me minister to you. Let me touch you. Instead of letting your life dictate to you and all the schedules, all the appointments that we have to do, but don't let that be your life. Don't let it rob you of the one thing that you've got to have right now, that we've got to have. We've got to have it. And so after these people who've spent time with the Lord, the storms come and everybody around you is a wreck, and guess what? You walk in, oh, it's going to be fine because I was just with the Father. And guess what Paul did? They were on a boat, 
it was sinking. They were going down. And Paul said, oh, it's going to be okay because the Lord's angels talked to me. So here's what's going to happen. That's the kind of people God was calling us to be. But I promise you, God didn't speak that to Paul when he was scrambling around, frantically trying to do stuff on that boat. He was able to hear the voice of the Father because he had allowed the Father to speak to him, minister to him. Are y'all gotten this? And I think this is what we've got to do. I mean, this is really necessarily. So we want to have manifestations and we want to have unusual things, but if we just experience that and we don't go behind it, what's the purpose in this, Lord? What are you really doing? What are you trying to do? And then let's live it. Let's live it. Let's don't lose what God has given us. And I think this morning there's some of you who's lost some of your breakthrough and you, you can come back to church every week. Hey, let me, let me just tell you, this is what I heard Charles Stanley say one time. He was, he's just a preaching machine, man. You know? He said he got sick of it one day when he did these altar calls. He loved these altar calls for salvation. You know, he's gotten a lot of people saved. But he realized the same people are coming up every second week to get saved. <laughs> They'd get saved and then they would go fall away and they had to come back and get saved. You know? And, you know, it's like, oh, come to church weeping, oh, Lord, Lord. But you know that, what about the other six and three-quarter days when you're not in a church service? I mean, I'm not trying to be hard. I'm talking to myself this morning. God really wants us. He's saying that to us. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. And he's not mad at you. He ain't got a hard thing to say to you. He just says, I want to talk to you. I want to give you some stuff you need. And we don't need it just for in here. We need it for out there. And it's going to get more and more important that we get it for out there as time moves on, as our world comes apart. It's what we do in here is to just get us ready for it. Oh, we're ready. We, we can do this stuff. We've practiced it made our messes in here. But we can go out there because we've learned how to hear the voice of God. We've learned how to be in His presence. We've learned how to do it. We've practiced it. We've experienced it. We didn't come to church and just hear sermons. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Let's do that, okay?